The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And a few verses later, uh, this is chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. He exhorts, uh, exhorts us again, exhorts us, and asks, uh, and says here, uh, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Will you pray with me real quick? Heavenly Father, Thank you for the opportunity to sit under wise counsel about making wise decisions in life. Uh, We know that we make bad decisions a decent amount of the time, and we thank you that Jesus uh, has covered all those with the work that he completed on the cross. Thank you that that work's finished. Thank you that we get to live in freedom and that we can uh, make wise decisions um, uh, under your name. Uh, We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is my honor to introduce today's guest speaker. Uh, We have a pastor who has uh, been a pastor for half a century. So uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Bob Bonner, my old man, my dad. If you're wondering, he got all of his good looks from his mother. Well, it's really, um, it's really a privilege, and I don't use that tritely. I know a lot of people come in when they're starting to speak someplace they've never been before, and they, they feel like they have to say something like that. But uh, Nick and has invited us to come down and visit his, his beautiful bride, our, son, our daughter-in-love, and the grandkids. And all the times we have, we've, we've come here to church and... I've had an opportunity to take uh, Randall out to lunch and spend time listening to his heart, uh, watching this church grow, and uh, you know, I'm excited to worship here when I come. Uh, He's the real deal. He genuinely, humbly loves Jesus Christ, and he is falling on his sword for you because he cares about you and wants to see you guys grow in, in your faith. Um, last week, when Randall was sp- uh, introducing his message, he had a quote from Matt Perman, and I'd like to pick up where he began and then go in a little bit of a different direction. Uh, Matt Perman said this, too often, personal effectiveness, and what he means by that is our natural skills, abilities, of being self-starting, uh, self-determined. He said, too often personal effectiveness is used as a tool to build the life we want, and God is left out of the picture. What he's saying is is that we start doing things without ever considering, Lord, is this something that you want us to do? Or am I kind of forcing this situation to make things happen? Lord, where are you involved in this? And I think if all of us were really honest and we were to evaluate our own individual lives, we'd discover or we would see that there's a lot of decisions that we make that we never consider. Jesus, do you want to be a part of this? Is this smart? Um, How do I really know what your will is for my life? Uh, Which college do you want me to go to? Jesus, do you really want me to be dating this guy or this gal? Uh, If I'm married, Jesus, do you want us to have children? If so, how many children? Or do you have that already planned out in your personal effectiveness? This is where I'm going to be 10 years from now. Um, What job? Jesus, which is the best job? Do I take the job that pays the most money? Which job would you really want me to? to have. So this morning, we're going to be looking at how do you go about making wise decisions under God? 
Now, we're going to be looking at six ingredients in this, in this package. Normally, if I was pastoring at this church, I wouldn't do this in one message. Okay? I'd do it in two. Uh, there's six points. That's a lot to remember. That's why there were printed up outlines. That's why there's outlines with fill in the blanks on your, on your smartphones. Um, because I'm not sure you can remember all of what I'm going to be going over unless you fill in the blanks. And when I was a young believer, I discovered that the, some of the things I'm going to be sharing with you this morning were gold. And so you'll probably want to go back and look at some of your notes in, in this area. Now, I'm going to be stepping into a, a way of preaching this morning that uh, is presuming something that I don't normally do. Um, I'm going to be speaking to everyone who's hearing my voice as though you already know Jesus Christ is your Savior and you know where you're going. Uh, that's the danger because some of you are still seeking. Some of you just walked in here and don't even know who I am or what's going on in this place. And, and some of you might think you're saved, but you're not really sure. And, uh, and so this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking as though you already know him. But if you're not sure and you don't, Please come talk to me afterwards if you want to know how to have a personal relationship. And if you see too many people to wait around, what I'd like to do is, you know, Randall, are you in the room right now? If you are, would you stand up? Okay, he's, he stepped out. All right, with the staff here who are on staff at the church and with some of the leadership, if you would be available after the service, would you just stand up now so that those could look at you uh, and they could say, all right, now this is leadership, not just paid on staff, but, you know, Terry Kelvin, you, you are influencing people's lives here. Here's a guy who knows Jesus. Now, he comes out of my vintage, all right, uh, and he has a big heart. So if you see who some of these people are that are standing, are there any elders that are here? Any elders in the room? Okay. Um, talk with some of us because... Basically, if you really don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you cannot really fully understand or know God's will for your life. And you'll be more apt to make foolish decisions rather than wise decisions. Where do I get the authority to say that? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am what? The way. I am the direction. I am the path. I'm the one who can show you the decisions. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So if you don't have a relationship with him, it's awfully difficult to discern God's will in your life. First of the six ingredients that are important for us to understand is that we need to make sure that we have our priorities straight. In the verses that um, Nick read in, in Matthew chapter 6, I want us just to look at these things again and see what he says. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you. What things? If you read the previous chapters, there's all kinds of concerns and anxieties and, and wondering, gosh, is this right or is that right? And he says, look, you seek after me and my will first, and I'll take care of the rest. You will see what is wise for you. And what may be wise for you may not be wise for another brother or sister right next to you. See, this is not crowd think. This is an intimate, individual, personal relationship with the king of kings. And he wants you to seek him and his kingdom. And to drive the point home, a few verses later, in verses 7 and 8, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now there's three verbs in there. Little English class here for a second. Three commands, ask, seek, and knock. In the original languages, those are in progressive present tense commands. What does that mean? Look, if you flunk English like I did for three years straight in high school, it may not seem like it's important. But years later, after having to go to summer school to make up for all the times I flunked, 
I discovered that's really important. Because in the original language, what he is saying is, keep on asking. Keep on sinking. Keep on knocking. This is to be going on through your entire life, constantly inviting the Lord to be a part of the process of your decision-making. Jesus goes on to say this in John chapter 7, verse 16 and 17. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. His point there is, you have to be willing to do God's will before you hear it then you will hear it. If you're not willing to do it before you hear it, then you're not going to hear it. I mean, why would God show you his will if you're holding back and saying, well, I'm not sure I want to follow this? Understand that God is not obligated to show you his will. God is not obligated to make, help you make wise decisions. God loves you and wants to be a part of all of your decisions. He wants the best for your life. But he says, are you going to trust me or are you not going to trust me? I'm not going to give you door number one, door number two, door number three. Pick your choice and accept in some other circumstances. But as he has a specific request for you, he's going to say, are you going to do it or you're not? There's a second requirement here about that reveals whether or not doing God's will is a priority in our lives. And that is, is there some area in your life that right now you know you're living in rebellion? If you know you're living in rebellion in one area, why would God want to come and show you what his will is in another area? That doesn't make sense, does it? Does it? No, it doesn't make sense. Just want to make sure I was not in here by myself. Look at what the psalmist tells us in Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Hear what? Hear my request, Lord, can I understand your will? He says, no, no, no. We got some un unfinished business we need to take care of here. We're not moving one step further until you deal with this. See, there are no minor forms of rebellion in God's kingdom. It's either full submission or you're in rebellion. Let's say, for instance that you're in business and you're considering taking some of your discretionary income and you want to invest it somewhere. But you know that you're cheating on your income taxes. Do you think if you're cheating on your income taxes and you're asking God, where should I put this $100,000? He's going to tell you? No. It doesn't matter what the government's going to do with our taxes as far as God's concerned because Jesus says, render under Caesar what's Caesar's. What Caesar does with it, Caesar's going to have an issue with God. But for us, it's a matter of obedience. Okay? We'll leave the rest to God. So the first question that has to be answered if we're going to have our priorities straight is this. Are you willing to do anything God wants you to do no matter what. Very first key ingredient. Now, the next key ingredient may seem obvious, <laughs> but it isn't always. And that's simply this. If you want to know what God's will is, you ought to ask him. <laughs> um, let me just be real vulnerable. A couple months ago, as I was beginning to work on packaging this message for you. Um, my schedule was jam-packed. I was stressed out to the max. My bandwidth was shot. I physically was wiped out. And I'm working on this message, and I'm going, man, Lord, 
I am, I am fatigued. I'm just, I'm really tired. And this little voice says, are you doing too much, Bob? Have your friends been telling you you're busier now in retirement than you were when you were working 70 hours a week as a pastor? Why is it? Have you been asking me before you jump into these good exercises? Have you asked, have you checked with me? Lord, is this something you want me to be involved in? And I had to say, I haven't checked in with you. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not sure you want me to burn the candle at both ends and in the middle. That's not, that's not wise. One of the great lines one of my mentors told me growing up was spiritual maturity is not just learning more information. You can be an intellectual babe if that were spiritual maturity. No, he says spiritual maturity is learning the basics over and over and over again at different times and in different areas of your life. Allah, how I could be so involved and miss the basic of taking time to stop in my devotions and saying, Lord, here's what I got on my calendar. Of this calendar, what is yours and what is of me? And that takes some time to sit down and think, but some of us are so busy Trying to do good things for the Lord, we've never stopped to ask him, is this what you really want me to be about? So, in James chapter 1, verse 5, we're told, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Again, God wants to be involved in every facet of your life. This is in the most intimate, personal relationship a human being can ever have. Far greater than any infatuation or love for another person. This is the one that will pay dividends long after that infatuation or long-life love dies or moves on to somebody else. The third ingredient, once you realize that you've got your priorities straight, once you realize that you've stopped long enough to ask him, Lord, what would you have me do in this particular situation? The next ingredient is getting into the Word of God. In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, chapter 12 obviously follows 11 through 1. Well, what's in 11 through 1? It deals with the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his redemption, his reconciliation, his, his propitiation. It deals with him saying, I have done for you what you can't do for yourself. I have paid the price, forgiven you, fully approved of you, accepted you as you are, incomplete. I always find it interesting in chapter 5 of Romans how Paul says, and while you were yet sinners... He's saying this to Christians who are still struggling with sin. And he said, I knew you were going to struggle with sin after I saved you. This is a due process. I'm not going to abandon you. And after we begin to understand this incredible concentration of theology in, in Romans, Paul sums it up in one, one phrase. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. What's mercy? Mercy is doing something for someone else that they can't do for themselves. The incredible mercy of God to draw you to himself, to save you, to begin the transforming work. And he goes on and he says, by the very mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service, literally the word there is, your logical response to everything that God has done for you 
is to worship him by yielding, submitting, surrendering all that you are, all that you have, realizing that you were bought with a price and you're not your own. He continues on. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If you want to understand what the will of God is, you need to have your mind changed because it's full of stinking thinking from the culture that's around you. When you see the whole culture around you going in one direction, think like Joshua and Caleb. When God sent out, uh, Moses sent out 12 spies to go check out the promised land. And 10 of them came back and said, man, we don't want to go there. No way. And only two guys said, but wait a minute. God gave it to us, and he said he was going to be there with us. Now, we've been taught the majority rules because the majority must be right. That's not how God works. The majority in this case, 10 to 2, we're wrong. And our culture's the same way. God's word speaks the truth. Nothing has changed in the soul of a human being since Adam and Eve. Our needs are still the same. Culture is still dark and confused. If you want to know how to live a healthy and meaningful life, get into God's word and study it. That's why Paul goes on in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped. That's also the woman of God. Equipped for every good work. That word inspired, many of you probably know, means God breathed. It means it is living. It is why when you read the scriptures one day and you come back to the same passage and you read it again, all of a sudden something else jumps up off the page and strikes you like it has never struck you before. You read the Book of Mormon, you read the Koran, it's not the same. If you've never read either of those books, you just, just take a few moments and read one and then read the Bible. There are no errors in the Bible. The Book of Mormon is full of them. If you want to look at contradictions, check out the Koran. It's a mess. And pretty soon you see this thing has a tied theme from Genesis to Revelation. And you can see how it all fits together. If you want an interesting study sometime, just take the first two chapters of creation in Genesis and look at the last two chapters of the book of Revelation. And you know what you'll see? A mirror image of an old creation and a new creation. Just check it out sometime. God breathed. That's a living book. It is not just a book put together because a group of people got together in a cohort and said, let's write the word of God. It is supernaturally inspired by the Holy Spirit there to bring you life. So if you want to understand what the will of God is for your life, A, you got to be doing whatever God says you should be doing, no matter what. B, you need to ask Him. And C, the best place to go find your information is in the Word of God itself. It's given in the Scriptures. Now, some of you here are probably brand new believers, having been walking with the Lord for more than two years. And you're going to be facing various kinds of decisions in your life. And you may not know enough of the Scriptures to know, well, does God's Word say anything about this subject? That's okay. You, 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 you're allowed not to know everything. I don't know everything, and I've been doing this for years. So what do you do when you don't know any, everything? You go find someone who has been studying and walking with the Lord longer than you, and you present your question to them and ask them, do you know if God's Word says anything and how this would work in my life? And by the way, the better this person knows you and your strengths and your weaknesses and, and your tendencies to go one way or another, the better for you because then they can come back and say, here's two or three things knowing you that might help you come up with a better decision in this particular area of your life. But keep getting into the book and studying it for yourself. I remember somebody once told me 
that um, anything you ever needed to know about the will of God in your life, you'll find in the Bible. How many of you agree with that? It's incorrect. Give you an example, very practical example, and I'm a very pragmatic person. If you're going south on I-5, anywhere from Carlsbad down to where San, uh, the, the Padres play at baseball, I'm a Dodger fan, sorry. Somewhere along that freeway, you're going to find five lanes. Sometimes you're going to find three lanes. Which lane does the Bible say you're supposed to drive in? Now, there may be a, a, a verse that says, I can show you one lane you're not supposed to be driving in if you've only got one person in the car. Stay out of the diamond lane. But you got three other lanes. God's Word doesn't tell you which lane to drive. He says, use your head. Follow the speed limit, get in the lane. Do you see what I'm saying? But what you do need and guidelines and principles for making huge decisions in your life, pretty much most of those have guiding principles throughout Scriptures. But in those non-moral areas, not always. Man, I really wish sometimes... The scriptures would tell me, should I invest in Google, Apple, or Microsoft? Or should I sell everything quick because the market's going to crash? The only place you're going to find that is in Hezekiah chapter 13. There is no Hezekiah 13. For those of you that are new, that's not even a book called Hezekiah. There was a dude called Hezekiah. He was a king, but that's another story. So what do you do? If you come to a situation and there is no black and white answer in Scripture as to how you should make this decision. Well, the book of Hebrews chapter 13 gives us a lead. It says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Now, he says, considering the result of the conduct... He's saying, I want you to know, are, are they walking with the Lord? If they're not, don't imitate them. But if there's somebody who's been teaching the Word, if there's someone who's been open and honest with you about their weaknesses and strengths, if there's someone who's been demonstrating that they are growing in Christ and they know you, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Look for someone who knows the word, and in addition, if you can find someone who knows you, then sit underneath them. Really? Yeah, that's why Proverbs says this. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. A wise man will hear. A wise man will listen, cogitate, take into deep consideration what someone says. And he will grow, and he will become wise in counsel. Finally, then, that point is make sure you consider the wise counsel of those who are mature role models and those who are in authority over you and who know you well. Okay, got the Word of God, you're willing to do whatever it says, you're asking Him for it, you've been searching it, you realize there's a blank spot where you want to find answers in black and white, you're going to somebody who's wiser, older, been through the school of hard knocks and got a doctoral certificate in it, and they know you. What else can we do? You can begin to make a list of your abilities as well as your liabilities or your limitations, your strengths and your weaknesses. And you can even take somebody who knows you to help you with some of these things. Some of us may think we have a real ability somewhere, but if somebody knows you really well, they may say, you love the Bible, you talk about the Bible, you study the Bible, 
but you don't have the ability to teach it. Who's listening to you when you're teaching it? If people aren't listening and their lives aren't being changed, then maybe you don't have the spiritual gift of teaching. Maybe that isn't a skill for you. Um, I'm, I remember being in, in a seminary classroom. And a seminary I went to in order to get a master's was a four-year program. Today it's worth two doctorates. Today now some people get master's in a year or two. But this one was a four-year program. And after I'd been in class with some of these guys for four years, um, I noticed that their lives had changed. There wasn't a lot of joy in Mudville. And so I began to ask them questions, get a little nosy. And, uh, you know, why'd you come to seminary? Well, I wanted to preach the word. Great, that's a, that's a good deal. I said, how's it going for you? Well, I really, I really don't like standing up in front of a group of people. Hmm. Well, what made you think you should preach the word? Well, when I was in our church, there was these sweet little old ladies that said they were praying for me and, and loved the fact that I was a good boy following Jesus, and, and they thought I would make a good pastor someday. And I said, so on the basis of some ladies who were looking at you from afar, you've spent the last four years in seminary preparing for ministry? What are your spiritual gifts? Well, I don't know. I never really thought about them. Wait a minute. You're in a graduate level of a Christian seminary and you, you're not even aware of what your spiritual gift is? I mean, you don't even know if you've got the gift of encouragement, the gift of faith, the gift of administration, the gift of service, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership. You don't know what your gift is and you're being trained for a specific area of ministry? So you need to ask people that have seen you in action or out of action to help them explain to you what your limitations are and what some of your abilities are. So let's see if we can nail this a little more. Here's a couple of questions which might be helpful in considering what abilities and limitations you have. And by the way, these are not just questions for you. These are questions you need to be asking people who know you so you can do this together, all right? Number one, what talents or abilities or spiritual gifts do you have? Spiritual gifts are not the same thing as a natural talent and ability. Let me give you an example. I have a math teacher in mind who loves teaching math at all levels, whether you're talking about beginning, geometry, algebra one, two, three, physics, loves teaching math to individuals. He also loves studying the Bible and gathering information. But he doesn't have the same ability to communicate what he does in math when he tries to teach in a Sunday school information to people. People just go dead to sleep, all right? The spiritual gift of teaching is a supernatural anointing of God that God doesn't put on everyone. Not everybody has the same gift. Randall and I were talking at lunch this week, and, and I asked him, because I knew I was going to be mentioning this, I said, um, have you ever taught on spiritual gifts here? And he said, yeah, but, you know, it's been quite a while. He says, we're trying to teach in this. And I said, yeah, I know. And uh, I encouraged him. I said, one of the things you need to do with this fellowship is look at a four-year period, and over a four-year period, pick out two major courses per year you can teach, and what would be the eight courses that you think everybody would need to be taught and maybe taught twice so that they understand God's biblical principles for the area of finances like is happening right now or spiritual gift or the whole area of forgiveness or your identity in Jesus Christ or how to share your I mean there's there's these classes and he said yeah you know we need to probably go do that again and help people take spiritual gift inventories there's a 
bunch of questions that you can, you can answer that will help guide you into, well, I probably don't have this gift. Or, I mean, there are some people here who definitely have the gift of service, who find it a joy. It doesn't mean it's not hard at different times, but who come here week after week after week, open up gates, set up tents, bring out food, empty trash cans, and then turn right around and take it all down. And they'll do it and keep on doing it because they love Jesus, not because somebody comes and says, attaboy, we're going to give all the guys with gifts of service a coupon to, you know, whatever. It's something that is stirred and anointed on them by the Holy Spirit. So spiritual gifts are different than someone's uh, natural ability to crunch numbers. Uh, and, and so uh, you got to see there's a difference there. And I'll come back to it in a minute. Here's a, another question you might ask. What gives you satisfaction? What energizes you? What, what are the things that you enjoy doing that give you life? Let's say you're somebody who just loves the outdoors, whether it's camping, snow skiing, surfing. Just, the outdoors is your element. You, you are there. Um, my encouragement to you is don't become a bean counter trapped in an office with no windows. I mean, if you see that is a way so that you can get out in the outdoors and use your spiritual gifts to build into guys and gals' lives, now that's a little different. But if you think that's going to give you joy and meaning, and you don't even have... have for instance, there's a, there's a family in our town of dentists. They got a grandfather, a great-grandfather, a father, and a son who wants to become a dentist. So I was talking to him uh, before he was heading off to college, and I, and I said, so what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to go into the family business. I'm going to be a dentist. I said, oh. I said, do you like the sciences? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, how'd you do in chemistry? Flunked. How'd you do in, in, in biology? I got a C minus. And I said, you may want to think, rethink dentistry. Why? I said, because you have to have an acumen for science and like it and enjoy it because it's, it's a medical practice. You know, science? He goes, oh. Hmm. I said, have you ever job shadowed your dad for an entire week and watched what he does? Well, I've gone into the office and, you know, I've seen a few. No, I said, no, I mean, get to the office with him in the morning and leave in the evening. I said, I would encourage you to follow him for a whole week because you don't want to jump into something and spend 70 hours a week doing it if you don't like it. It doesn't energize you. You, you, you keep looking at the clock to get out of Dodge, you know? Good night. So, you know, you got to think about what energizes you or gives you satisfaction. I was down in uh, Bonaire and um, doing some ministry down there and also scuba diving with my daughter. And, and I went out one, one night to do a teach at one of the churches there and, and came back and it was probably like 9.30. And um, we were just hanging out talking and she said, Dad, are you going to be able to go to sleep? I said, what do you mean? She said, you are fired up. And I said, well, I guess that happens, you know, I get involved and start meeting with people and answering questions and praying with them. And I get home and I'm jacked up. Boy, I'm wired. I'm energized. Okay? Um, it's tough getting up in the morning. <laughs> You're up till two, energized. But I know what winds my clock. Jesus, where do, you, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk with? You know? I mean, there's some folks, like imagine a... a 50 girls, and they're in a room like this. If they had, they're waiting for a class to start, you're going to find a whole bunch of them in the center. These are the extroverts. They're all, yuck, 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 They're talking over each other. Nobody's listening, but they are energized. And then up against the back of the walls, you're going to have the extroverts. And they may even be pretty, excuse me, introverts. And they may even be pretty, we used to call them wallflowers. Because they just want to sit back there and hope nobody notices them. 
there's, there's differences in kinds of people. Well, we had this um, two, two professors, I guess, school teachers. One was an elementary school teacher. Another was a, a middle school teacher, junior high. And uh, they were both in our church. And I was talking with each of them individually apart at two different seasons. And I, I said to one, uh, what are you looking forward to? And he says, June 15th. I said, what happens June 15th? School's out. I said, oh, why are you looking forward to that? He said, I hate kids. I said, how long have you been a school teacher? 15 years. I said, really? He said, they drive me nuts. And I said, well, why'd you become an elementary school teacher? He said, well, I thought I'd like it. And I said, oh, well, when did you find out you didn't like it? Well, after about four or five years. And I said, really? So you went to school, you were trained, you became a school teacher in four or five years. Why didn't you leave? He said, I couldn't. I was married and had kids. I needed the job. So I've said, you've tortured yourself for the last 10 years? I said, when are you planning to retire? Another 10 years. The pay's going to be good. And I said, you're putting yourself into a living hell. You're doing something you hate. And you wonder why you're not a light for Jesus Christ in the classroom? Wise decision. Wise decision. Another teacher, high school student teacher, high school teacher, Great guy, loves to disciple people one-on-one, elder, Um, (laughs) and he's a teacher. He can pray out loud, but don't dare ask him to lead a communion service. He just freezes in front of a group of people. And I said, how do you make it as a teacher? Standing up in front of those kids. He says, it's really, really, really hard. I said, oh. What energizes you? What gives you satisfaction? Those are some things you need to wrap your life around. Another question you may want to ask is that what have you proven yourself to be successful at or uh, impactful? Um, I remember a couple months after I got saved, uh, I was in freshman year in college, and um, I met this guy named Howard And he knew that I was a Christian, and he told me he was working with high school students. Well, that really revved me up because right after I got saved, and I was graduating from high school at the time, I said, you know, Lord, I would have been a different person today if I'd known about Jesus Christ when I was in junior high. But I got a lot of scars and a lot of wounds in my life right now that would have never been there if somebody had just explained to me the difference between knowing Jesus and religion because I was in a parochial school for six years, and I never heard the gospel, and it was just pure religion. And then I got saved after I got out of it. And when I, once I discovered in the first couple of months what it meant to know Jesus, I thought, i got to go back to school and tell all those people in class. So this college friend says, I'd like to come see how a youth group works. And I said, what's a youth group? I didn't know. I wasn't in church. He said, well, come on. So it's a gathering of all these high school kids and junior high kids, and and I had a blast. And they started asking me about why I did weird things and whatever, and I started sharing about Jesus with them. And it was about a month later, this friend of mine says, how would you like to teach a Sunday school class? I said, what's a Sunday school class? I'd never been in a Sunday school, and what would I teach? And he said, well, here, here's a curriculum. It's 13 weeks long. And he said, it'll tell you all you need to know. I said, okay. So I looked at the title of it. It was published by uh, what used to be Gospel Light. I think it's Gospel Light's Lighthouse or something else now. Anyhow, the, the whole quarter was called How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. And you know what it was? A little paperback book written and designed for high school students. And it was a basic commentary on the Book of Romans. Now, I'm going to teach the book of Romans to junior high kids. And I don't know diddly squat about doctrine. Nothing. I'm in trouble. I got three weeks to bone up. Never having been in a class. Found out it lasted an hour. 
What am I going to do for an hour with junior high kids locked up in a room? You know, I'm sweating bullets. So I start reading this thing, and I'm preparing ahead of time, and I realize the book of Romans answers all these incredible questions that I had just been asking. And just about the time I get the answer, I was to teach it to the kids. Or just when I got the answer, they'd ask me a question, and I'd say, oh, well, here's the answer, and this is what the Bible says. They thought I was a genius. No, I was a spiritually gifted guy, and I didn't know I was spiritually gifted because I didn't know there were spiritual gifts back there, but I had one, and I didn't know it. But I enjoyed seeing the transformation in these kids' lives. And I made it through 13 weeks, and I didn't kill them. But the amazing part was when a couple of their parents came back and said, I have no idea what you're doing in that class. But my son never got to church early. Do you realize for 13 weeks, he got up an hour early just to come to your class? And I went, oh, wow. Any difference in him? He said, he's not the same kid. What's different about him? He talks differently with me. He's kinder. He's compassionate. And I think he loves Jesus. Romans 12, the mercies of God, when you understand that, it will change your life. So I, I thought, well, okay. I guess I've got a knack in this area. So I started sharing it with another mentor pastor. And he said, Bob, you probably have the spiritual gift of teaching. I would encourage you to continue to investigate using it. And if you discover that you're still having an impact, wrap your life around it. Best piece of advice I ever gave. And I would encourage you, when you find out what your spiritual gift is, wrap your life around it. Because if you don't use that spiritual gift, you will be bored dead inside, wondering, Jesus, why did you save me? What role do I have to play? In Ephesians chapter 2, we have some other keys. Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Beforehand when? You go back to chapter 1, it was before the foundation of the earth. In case you didn't get it, that's before any of you were a twinkle in your mom and dad's eyes. God prepared for you a unique plan. You are a unique vessel. You have a purpose that nobody else in this room has. And you have a spiritual gift package that goes with your personality and some of your other natural talents. And he prepared that beforehand so that we could walk in them and be used of by God. Um, we have a, a relative in our family who, from a little boy, was trained by his father how to play the cello. And he loved playing the cello. He eventually became a concert-level first-chair celloist. He's played for the Pope in Rome. He's played for the King of Jordan. He's played in Carnegie Hall. He was in position to make a lot of money as a concert first-year celloist. Somewhere in college, he came to know Christ. He loved playing the cello, and he had to ask, Lord, how does this work with my spiritual gifts. I have a gift of, of mercy, a gift of encouragement. I'm not sure if I've got the gift of teaching. How does this work? Fast forward. He now trains street children in four or five different continents from home base in YWAM in, in Hawaii how to play the cello. He brings them free cellos. And these kids have been playing before state bodies all over the world. And they've gone back into the streets 
to share Jesus Christ. Now, that's a unique combo, but it's an example of this. God has a plan, and don't get your, don't allow limitations to keep you be who you're supposed to be. He could have been stuck in a chair in a concert hall. He travels the world now, passionately building into young orphans' lives. I have no clock here, gentlemen. Can somebody warn me where we are? Oh, my goodness. Quick point. Oh, like last point. Um, Final thing, if you're trying to figure out the Word of God, I I mean the will of God in your life, is make sure, oh, how could God otherwise use your abilities and your gifts? Doug didn't do it in an orchestra. He did it in a ministry. That was an example of what this point was all about. Then the final one is make sure you consider all of the pertinent circumstances surrounding a decision that you have made or are making, and maybe you've made it and things didn't go right. If God didn't want you to do something, what would he have to do to get your attention? Look, I know I've unloaded a whole lot. It's kind of like a, rather than a bullet, it's been a shotgun blast. I'll be hanging around here if you want to ask some questions. Be happy to chat with you afterwards. Thank you for the opportunity to just be with you this morning. And uh, why don't we just close in a word of prayer, all right? Lord Jesus, I, I thank you that you desire us to know your will more than we do at times. Forgive us for being deaf, rebellious, um, just living in the flesh. Father, thank you that you look forward to every sunrise that you might walk with us during the day. And for those who work at night, that you look forward to working, walking with us at night. Lord, um, apart from you, we are fools. And we need to, to grow up, invite you to speak into our hearts, bring wise counselors around us who know us and who will speak truth to us as it concerns your will for our lives and the major decisions we are making. Father, prevent us from moving too soon or waiting or dragging our feet. Lord, we want to live for you, rejoice with you, serve you. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.